Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Welcome. Hi, I'm Philip Topham, The Savvy Founder, and today we have Michael Sawitz, a special friend of mine and a, a dear friend of mine and uh, avid entrepreneur, startup mogul for the Orange County area. Welcome, Michael. How are you doing today? Hey, Philip. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's glad to have you here. Uh, you know, for the audience, why don't you give us a, a brief background on, on I don't know if we could do be brief, but <laughs> you've been an entrepreneur for so long, but help our audience understand uh, what you've been doing for the startup community here in Orange County and, and what, uh, you know, why do we start there? Give them a little bit of <laughs> sense of, of what you well, do. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather start out saying I'm six foot four and incredibly good looking. So I'll start out with the lies and <laughs> everything else can go from there. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, after I sold um, our franchise company, we had a, a, a national brand, um, I put all my energies into mentoring. I had been uh, mentoring uh, a class for three and a half years at Cal State Fullerton loved it it was a blast decided that that's what i wanted to do every day not just one day a week so I sold my company and uh, when i sold the company i kept the building that i had bought back in 2000 for our corporate headquarters and rehabbed it and turned it into fast start studio a mixed uh, use business incubator of which you were kind enough to spend a lot of time in helping me there with uh, with ultimately over 100 startups. We had, I think, 29 at one time. And that that's my passion, is, uh, is helping entrepreneurs to understand the ecosystem, giving them maybe a roadmap so they can sidestep some of the landmines, uh, maybe a process to move faster. Um, and that, uh, that turned into a wonderful ride, uh, at, at about the eighth year, I got offered, um, a teaching gig at the business school of Irvine Valley college and, uh, 30,000 students there, you know, number one community college in California. And so I took it and, and started teaching there. Uh, previously I had helped build, um, a, a lean startup course at Cal State Fullerton. But because I don't have a, a master's degree in business, I wasn't able to, to teach it. I was able to create it and got paired up with Dr. Obsfeld and together we did it for uh, seven semesters. Um, he still teaches that class now and you know I've gone on to other things. So could add uh, educator onto that list. But at the same time, I aligned myself with several nonprofit organizations that were support systems for entrepreneurs. Um, at Cal State Fullerton, it's the Center for Entrepreneurship, where I've been a board member, I think, close to 11 years. And, and uh, also uh, on 
um, Tech Coast Venture Network, where I'm, I'm proud to be the vice chair and, uh, and uh, sit on that board with you and, and other engaged uh, entrepreneurs. Um, other, um, I think three or four other nonprofits I've been involved with on, on the board. It's just, you can see there's a pattern, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, startups are my my crack cocaine, I guess. I'm I'm addicted. I love it. Um, I get involved anywhere that I can. I judge. Whoa. Uh, now I've worked with over 2,000 startups on how to pitch in one way or another. That's that's a pretty uh, cool thing. Didn't know it until I was challenged. Um, in an interview and uh, did some quick math and that's kind of where it came up to. So anyhow, background has, has been in the last, uh, you know, decade and a half has been committed totally to business and startups. And before that 30 years running the franchise company before that almost 20 years in the apparel industry. So a um, couple of careers there don't know what the future lies but I'm ready for it. Excellent. Yeah. When you, when you said you, you started with the, uh, the teaching and it, you, you, you developed a purpose, right? It became purpose-driven at that point. And you've certainly lived that to the fullest. And as you sort of think back on, you know, if you were to distill down helping entrepreneurs, what's, what's the, what's the, the key mission or, or, you know, hope that you want out of this? What's, what's, what really gets you up in the morning? What's that focus for the entrepreneurs? Well, when I, when I started, you know, really in, in, in earnest, putting a lot of time and a lot of energy into it, it was 2008 and nine. And if you remember, uh, the world and, and specifically our country went into a tailspin uh, because of the uh, economic meltdown. There was huge numbers of Americans out of work with no hope, no future. And so I set myself a personal goal of improving quality of life in our, our community, one startup at a time. You know, startups wind up hiring people. They wind up uh, using services and goods and uh, makes a difference in the inner community. Um, I had read a book by Jim Clifton, who is the CEO of uh, the Gallup organization. And they spent um, over a billion dollars and went to 113 countries to talk to people about quality of life and what it what those parameters are that people around the world said that that's our goal you know this is if we could achieve this it's sort of the american dream but globalized and the the thing that that polarized was people saying that they had a good job a good job is not just what you get paid but it's the feeling that you get by being in the right place by being productive, by being a productive member of your community. And that had great impact. And the name of that book was called The Coming Job Wars. In that book, it talked about 
what the criteria was to, to create those, those hubs of innovation that spark new jobs, new technologies, new, new, new everything. And one of the things was having a community that had higher education. Well, we've got four colleges here in Orange County. Having um, capital, we're certainly a, a, a rich um, county. And having um, what he called super mentors. Now, super mentors don't do the mentoring themselves, but they're iconic. They're the ones that, that give the idea and the spark and the role model to guys like you and me who then reach out and start doing the mentoring. So, you know, reading that book, it made so much sense to me that I decided that I was going to play my role in, in our community. And that was a, a big deal to me and still is. I mean, here we are. The Dow just hit uh, an all-time high today. So, you know, fiscally, we're, we're doing well, but are we? You know, when we take a look at some of the weak spots in our communities, the weak spots fiscally, it's here too. So there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I, I, uh, I recall uh, the first time I met you, was uh, you were you were on a panelist at TCVN uh, talking about the fast start studio model and how you really were uh, putting together an accelerated incubator for entrepreneurs and and going all in and in a way that others hadn't done where it wasn't was not a pay to play approach it was just yeah I was the stupid one. <laughs> yeah, but but I but yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. charge for it. <laughs> yeah, but 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 you, you but there's a difference between charging and and a and in this and the places that are sort of uh, charging for value, charging for services and other things versus um, charging for prestige or charging for access. Like I, I my own journey as I've gotten into this was was similar. Is is I've lived all my adult life in Orange County. It's a, a phenomenally wealthy place. Uh, the the recession happened and all that good stuff. Um, and and my own children wouldn't be able to live here because of of economic conditions. And yet, as a county, we were just not hitting at our weight to produce stuff. I, I've since gone on to learn. It's not a phenomena just to our location, but there's so many other places that have startup communities and other things that I've started thinking about this concept that, that Silicon Valley is the new Hollywood of broken dreams and dashed hopes where everybody thinks they're going to be the next big billionaire, billion dollar unicorn. And, and frankly, I want to get as many, many businesses started because if they start they can grow. <laughs> and if they can, if they can't get there, that's, that's what got me into this space. Um, I also uh, think that we need to figure out how to, how to help those entrepreneurs. And that's really why I've, I've kept stepping up. I, I first um, even recall, you know, that got me into the fast start studio into helping out there, you know, sitting in the audience at, at UC Irvine as part of the the 1 million cups program and, and listening to what people were saying, I said, I can do as much. And so 
I, I applaud you for, for stepping up and, and being all in for that. As you, as you look at all the pitches that you've watched and all the entrepreneurs and this allure of Silicon Valley always comes up in the conversation, right? What, what do you think is the number one or two mistakes that the, the first or second time entrepreneur makes when they, when they step in and say, they, they wake up one morning, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. What, what is, and, and particularly the, the entrepreneurs that are aiming towards the shark tank where they, they want an investor uh, to, to build their business. Is there, is there so, a few? Um, yeah. <laughs> You named it right there. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the next Elon Musk, you know, or Zuckerberg, that's the, that's the first mistake <laughs> right there. Um, I have to go back, if I can get a little philosophical here, to Simon Sinek. It's exactly, he nailed it. It's the why. Why are you doing this, right? And if you're doing it to be rich and famous, uh, you just change the odds of your success dramatically to the negative. And, and that's the big deal, right? If I can look at you know a couple of thousand startups that I've worked with, the, the big differentiator is, are you solving a problem or are you feeding your own ego? Why are you doing this? Back to the cynics, why? And so if you're doing it to, to have an enjoyable, fun, you know, wealthy life and, and, and to say, I did it, that, that's not where it's at. It, it's, it's a really difficult road. And those that make it are passionate about solving a problem. The bigger the problem with the greater the market, with a, what I call an elegant solution, a solution that, that uniquely uh, solves the problem in, uh, in a very streamlined, uh, frictionless, uh, minimal touch way is a great formula for success. Not so much if you're looking to, to, to find, you know, the next, you know, widget that everybody wants. Uh, yes, you could do searching, but solve a problem. If that widget solves a problem that's serious enough that enough people will part with their money to buy it, then maybe you have something. Or if your solution is so elegant that all the service providers, and that may be you know, the healthcare industry where you've come out of, it may be education, it may be defense, whatever it is. If it's part, uh, if it's a component that'll help the process, streamline it, make it quicker, efficient, cheaper, then you got something. Again, it's all about solving a problem. Why? Because at the center of everything, it's, it's a thing called a value proposition. And the stronger the value proposition, the easier it is, and the quicker people will adopt it and move towards it. And so... That's the big deal, and, and, and that's at the heart of everything. And that's why I'm such a big proponent of, of lean startup methodology, because if you look at the canvas, whether it's uh, Alexander Osterwalder's business model canvas or Ash Mura's, um, 
uh, running lean um, model, uh, it's the same thing right in the middle of it in those nine boxes is the value proposition because you don't create value, people don't want it, no matter what, it'd be free. And if it doesn't solve my needs, why would I want to do it? Yeah, I, 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 I use the Lean Business Canvas in all its forms for so many things with regular businesses, with startups. It's a, a phenomenal tool. But I think when you said the number one problem, you, you hit it on the head is that you wake up in the morning, you say, I'm going to be the next, uh, you know, you know, entrepreneur, billionaire, and that's the money's the motivator. And that's the one thing that's not on the canvas for me that I think we, we sometimes focus so much on the tools, right? And it's, uh, you know, I've had discussions around um, the social relationships and social capital and how to build those out. And it's so critical to your business, you know, hiring people, working with suppliers, working with investors, those are all personal relationships. Those are, and that's, they're talked about, but it's a skill set, And it's that, that for me, that's that purpose, you know, why are you doing this? Uh, it doesn't fit on the canvas. And I almost think there should be a, 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 a purpose canvas, <laughs> something else there. Um, what do you, what do you, how do you solve that problem? You're mentoring lots of, of folks. You're doing lots of pitch tests. How do you get them to make that transition to, to, to get to that purpose driven? Okay. So to me, for me, it's the knowledge that what they want to build is probably not what they will build. And that's evidenced by Steve Blank did some, uh, some research. He interviewed and tracked over a thousand successful tech startups in Silicon Valley, a thousand that made it, right? And if 5% make it, you can see what that, you know, represents in, in the community. And what he found was better than 90% of those thousand successful tech startups did not look anything like they were at inception. So knowing that, that whatever idea you have is going to be changed by the market, uh, by technology, by outside influences, and even inside, the team decides to go in a different direction. So a uh, couple of things there. One is the flexibility and, and not to be dogmatic in, in your, your view and your approach of what you're trying to build and to be flexible enough to, to move through open doors or create open doors by crashing through the wall. Those are the disruptive folks. And um, having the, the grit the fortitude to get through, you know, the valley of despair, uh, if you've ever graphed that out, you know, every startup, every life has a, a valley of despair and how we get, get through it is, um, is, uh, is, is, is critical. Um, so uh, I think one of them, you know, if we, if we look at some of the, the gurus of startup and we, we look at, um, uh, you know, the chasm that's created between um, 
your initial uh, users and and pre um, majority. Not every business can transition. You've had early adopters that use it, love it, but they're using it and loving it for usually a different reason than why you're building it. And often, uh, if you build strictly off of the desires, wants of your, your early adopters, you may not have what is needed to scale it to the masses. So, you know, that's that's comes back to having the flexibility, the grit, the desire to bring whatever it is to the market to solve that problem. You know, if it's just about being rich and famous, that's about when people bail out when it stops working or you've you've spent your money and your family's money and all the money you've raised and put it into a deep dark hole. I mean, after all, that's where the lean startup came from. Um, with Eric Reese and, and his partner Howard, um, what they had was really doggone good. And they got in, involved with investors who thought, wow, this is gonna be a hit, but we don't want you to tell anybody, keep this under wraps. <laughs> and when we bust out, we're gonna have a, a launch like nobody's ever seen. And, and so every month, you know, at the investor meeting and the board meeting, they, you know, Eric Reese would say, well, this is where we're at. And so this is great, keep going, but don't tell anybody and uh, just get it done. And so in order to get it done, the investors kept putting money in. Ultimately, four years later and $40 million. You ever heard of a startup, tech <laughs> startup, you know, software that took $40 million? There's it, it, never it, been one to my knowledge. Yeah, isn't that the, isn't that the quintessential Silicon Valley myth, right? Yeah, they kept hiring. They were doing great work. Um, Reese and his partner came out of Stanford. And so they had lots of Stanford engineers working on it. They built some really cool stuff. And finally, when the investors said, okay, time to launch. And, you know, it had been in stealth mode all along. And they had a heck of a launch party, but nobody wanted it. And it was a huge crater, a thunderous sound of silence when $40 million flushed down the toilet. And man, that that's <laughs> that's a benchmark I wouldn't want my name associated with. But, <laughs> you know, Eric Priest, you know, went into hiding. Uh, but one morning he was out running through um, those, the hills, Palo Alto Hills uh, by, by Stanford. And he said to himself, you know, what we were doing was right how we went about it was wrong. And so he talked to his former partner and said, you know, what we're doing was right, but there's a different way to get to market. How would you like to, to try it again? And he said, well, you know, all of our engineers got paid, they got paid well, so we could probably invite a few of them back and give it a try, and so they did and uh, created a company called IMDU to build the same kind of thing. But instead of waiting, they, they went out very quick, you know, very simplistic, maybe a little buggy. But what they did was as soon as they had new features or new, 
you know, fixes, they released them one after another. Sometimes 10 and 20 times a week, they were pushing out the updates. And, you know, it was working. People were buying it and using it. And they had this linear uh, from left to right growth pattern, very linear and, and definitely growing. But that was a problem. So why would that be a problem when you're, you're growing? Well, think about it. Linear would be you launch and, you know, you've got this marketing campaign, whether it's word of mouth or paid or whatever, it's, you, you would be able to track where the increases came from. So you would know uh, this new feature really caught on and, and we had a bump. And so instead of being linear, it tilted more straight up or, um, you know, we hit it, the, the right message and now more and more people are buying it. But no, this thing just kept, you know, a straight line at a, at a, at a specific incline. And that was troubling because you can't go out and raise money on a linear growth. It has to be hyper. It has to be go, you know, to the right and up, you know, that hockey stick. And that's what investors are looking for. So now he's going, oh, no, here it comes again. I got another crush on my hand. He was panicked, totally panicked. This would ruin his life. He'd have to go into a different industry. So under stress and duress, he started calling up customers. Hey, I'm Eric Reese with IMVU. Thank you so much for being our customer. Uh, you know, just want to have a chat with you. Can you tell me what's going on, how you like it? Oh, yeah, programs, okay. So that was troubling. And he would then go, well, hey, did you like all the enhancements we made over the last couple of months? You came in early and now you have this, this, and this. And people go, yeah, it's okay. And he kept getting that, yeah, okay. He tried to get as many people as he could into his office. And then <laughs> for a Silicon Valley guy, this, this is you know the ultimate punch in the face. He actually drove down 101 to San Jose. <laughs> so... <laughs> Palo Alto guys, you know, don't have a lot of respect for San Jose, but he went down and he started meeting people in coffee shops. Hey, I'm Eric Reese. Thank you for, for meeting with me, having some coffee, and like to discuss IMV with you. And kept hearing the same thing. So how could this be? How can you have a growth pattern, but people that aren't engaged? Yeah, it's okay. What he found out was they bought the program for a specific specific use that solved a problem for them. So all of the cool bells and whistles and all the other features and stuff, the hard stuff that, that Reese and his team were doing meant nothing to the, to the user, the consumer. They were building stuff that nobody wanted. Duh, that's, that's the key. So he went to a, an old professor of his who was actually an investor in the first startup and said, you know, Mr. Professor Blank, would you help me? <laughs> so Blank said, yeah, I'll help you, but only if you take my class. And instead of Stanford, he was teaching over at Berkeley, which is another punch in the face to, to a Stanford grad. But he, he went through the course. He also read The Four Epiphanies, which is Steve Blank's book on customer development. And together, 
they created a new paradigm, the lean startup methodology, yep. changed the world. I mean, it's the first major change to business since the, the business plan, which is you know, industrial revolution 175 years ago. So, uh, you know, and it works and I'm a believer and I use components of it. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the thing, right? Build stuff that people want, you know, don't build stuff that you want. Um, Absolutely. So there's a guy that I, I follow. And if I can give you this one, I'll try to make it real quick. I know I'm, you know, yammering on here, but <laughs> name is Jeffrey Gittimer. He's a sales guy, brilliant sales guy, written many sales books, a little red book, a little black book, a little green book of sales and so forth. I used to buy the, the little red book and send it to all my franchisees so they could understand truly what network marketing was all about. And Gittimer brilliantly said, don't make, don't sell what you make. And that's like, what? That's why I'm selling it. I made it. I need to sell it. But he says, don't make, don't sell what you make. Make what you can sell, which is his way of saying, talk to the damn customer, find out what they want. Give them something of value that solves their problem. And, and that's, that's the key. Don't sell at all. Stop selling. In fact, that chases people away when you sell, right? Make stuff that people want. They'll find a way to buy it. You know, there was a, um, a saying probably a couple hundred years old about, you know, make a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. That's, that's something that's valid. It's still valid today. Make stuff that solves people's problem and you won't have such a hard time selling your product. You know, take the word sell really out of it. You know, solve problems. Absolutely. So you've, you, as you've, you've yeah. sort of shared, uh, shared some of the super mentors that you've followed and learned from in your lifetime. Now, if you were to sort of bring it home and, and, and think about all your life's experiences and you looked back and said, this is the, this is my biggest learning. What, what would you have, would have wished yourself now to have told your younger self that you would have, you know, what would you have, have said, Hey, when I started on my, you know, when I woke up one day and said, I'm going to, you know, serve entrepreneurs or at that point or whatever, you know, I wish I would have known that. And what would you, what would advice would you have given yourself? I know I stumped you. That's, that's, that's tough because I have so many, so many flaws. Yeah, but, 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 <laughs> so many, uh, yeah, 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 I understand, but, but, you know, you've, so, you've learned yeah, a lot so, in the entrepreneur um, community. Yeah, is it, you know, so I, I, all right. So to get naked here and be, uh, completely transparent with Kimono Open, the drive that I had to be successful in everything I did, that drive got me there. But that drive also kept me from being uber successful. And what I mean is don't let your, don't create a myopic vision 
You know, some people say you need to have focus and you have a vision, create a vision board, be able to get there. Well, that may work for some people, but for me, the more vision I had, the more myopic I became. And I would say you need to listen to everyone, experts, non-experts, consumers, non-consumers, listen to everyone, then weigh, and then choose a path. And just like lean, when you choose that path, it's the build, test, learn cycle that's the most important. The number one thing I would say to everyone is to find, make that part of your name, the build it, test it, what did you learn from it, rebuild it, retest it, use that methodology for the rest of your life. And whether it's a startup or, or relationships or whatever, you need to be open to another way of doing it. And, and for me, I've been successful, but I would have been more successful if I would have been more open to listen, at least that's what my wife tells me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's really, that, that, uh, that's really, really sage advice. And that's, that's the, you know, don't get so fixated on the mountain you're climbing that you don't see the daisies in front of you. Right. All the other opportunities to do things. So with yeah, that. another another way to say yeah another yeah, way on. to say that if I may is um, don't don't fall in love with your product or yeah. service or software don't fall in love with that because once you build it you don't want to change it and that's a problem right there so the, my advice is don't fall in love with the product, your product, fall in love with the, with the problem. So if you're constantly focusing on the problem and how to better solve that problem, you'll constantly be in the game. You will constantly have an opportunity, but if build it and then just try to protect it, saying my, my baby's perfect, the market keeps moving. We're in a dynamic world, not static. You may be perfect for that moment, but you won't have the legs to make it. I mean, look back at 1999 and the Fortune 100 companies, I think only 21 of them are still in business now. Those were the biggest companies in the world. They didn't make it. I mean, think about uh, Pan Am. Pan Am pioneered overseas travel. They're no longer in business, right? Um, You know, they've morphed completely by... The Polaroid Kodak, uh, you know, picture. Uh, I mean, where's Tower Records? Where's Blockbuster? Uh, and all of these things that did not change with the times. They didn't stay engaged with their customer. They didn't, you know, um, test things so that when the market changed, they were unaware. You know, market went left. They were still going right. You need to be flexible. You need to be the, the Gumby of startup land, right? And don't be so inflexible that you break when the pressure's on. Excellent. Well, thank you, Michael. That was wonderful. If, if our audience wanted to get in contact with you, where should they, where should they connect if, they, if you 
Well, um, as uh, my my current day job is is besides teaching is working with the Small Business Administration, the SBDC, Small Business Development Center, where you know all of these all of the resources and, and great counselors are of at no charge to the American uh, you know, public. So uh, contact me at michael.sawitz, michael.sawitz at SBDC. Um, oh, excuse me, I got it wrong. At OCIESBDC.com for Orange County Inland Empire SBDC.com. Sorry about that, but you know, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And then I can uh, get people connected with counselors that could help them with whatever problem, whether you're a startup or an existing business. Well, thank you, Michael. It's it's been a pleasure when I when I first met you. It's been a pleasure to be your friend, to know you and listen to your words of wisdom. I really appreciate it. And thank you. You're so kind, Philip. Thank you. You're welcome. Much deserved, though. Take care and uh, tune in next week for a new episode of The Savvy Founder, where we interview entrepreneurial experts to get, share their words of wisdom and help, them, help you understand how to get forward to bring your dreams, your future tomorrows today. Have a bright and profitable future. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.